God, amen. What a treat. We actually get special music here as well. Praise God. So I owe everyone here an apology. Amen. Normally when I share my testimony, I have uh, the pictures that go along with it, but I, 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 didn't put, I didn't have all my ducks in a row. Amen. But it's all right. It's going to encourage somebody here. Amen. So in case you're wondering, I've entitled the sermon, A New Creation. And so our main text is going to be 2 Corinthians 5, 17. Amen. I want to give people hope. Amen. It's interesting how God will use people like you and I to reach people around the world. Seriously, if, if you would have told me 30 years ago, Richard, 30 years from now, you're going to be preaching in different countries. You're going to be praying for the sick. Uh, they're going to be calling you from all parts of the world just because they need a prayer and a sense of, you know, for healing and deliverance and things of that nature. Back then, I would have said, you're crazy. You done lost your mind. What kind of dope are you doing? I need to start using that. But you know what? No, it was all in God's plans. So let's go to 2 Corinthians 5.17. It says, Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, he is a new creation. All things have passed away, and behold, all things have become new. Thank you, Lord. A new creation this evening, church. If we're going to be a new creation, we always have to deal with the old life. And so, you know, there's like a proverb. I would call it a proverb, right? Because it's, it's what goes up must come down, right? And so these are some things that are like absolutes. For example, sin will always cost you more than you were prepared to pay. Sin will always keep you longer than you planned to stay. Oh, I'm just going to flirt with this sin just a little bit. I'm just going to flirt around with this girl over here. I'm just going to flirt with this boy over here. I can handle it. And oh, Can you? It's very interesting. I say that because at the end of the day, people think it won't happen to them. And so my biological mother, you know, the best thing she did for me was she gave me over uh, to her, her parents. So I was adopted by my grandparents. And so my grandparents were my, my parents. They're the ones that raised me. But it's interesting because my mom was probably about the age where, you know, we think we're smarter than our parents. And so my mom, not knowing what, what life is outside the house, and, you know, not, not everybody's going to be your best friend. And so here she is. She would tell my, my, my grandmother, right, her mom, I'm going to be at friend A's house because she, she, she knows that my, my grandmother likes that friend, right? But my mother already knew she wasn't going to be at that house. She was going to be at this house, house B. Why? Because that's where the liquor is going to be at. That's where the dope is going to be at. And that's where the boys are going to be at. And that's where that mindset thinks that, you know what? It won't happen to me. It won't happen to me. And so some things never change. What goes up comes down. And they were doing this back when my mother was young. And it's interesting how it's happening more to this day. Little smile over here. A little compliment over here. And while they're keeping you busy with the eyes, they pop a pill in your drink. And next thing you know, you ended up being violated. I'm a product of a rape. 
See, my mom thought she was going to go have a good time. She had no idea that she was going to be violated. Because we think we're smarter than God. It won't happen to me. Pastor, pastor, chill out. It won't happen to me. I got this. Oh, my goodness. If I could get a quarter for every time I've heard, it shouldn't have happened like this. I didn't think it would. That's the problem. We don't think. You know, and, and so I preached my testimony in Jacksonville, Florida, a number of years ago. And then uh, when I was done, the next, the next day for the service, uh, there's a, a lady in the church there in the Jacksonville, Florida church. And she had wrote a, a letter. And before I left from the revival, she says, can you do me a favor? And I said, yes, ma'am. She goes, can you make sure that your mother gets this letter? And so, you know, I gave it to my mother, and then, you know, she started talking to, talking to me. And basically what Miss Betty was saying from the Jacksonville, Florida church was, she goes, I, I got motivated to know that, you know, you, you didn't abort your child. You didn't abort them. You, you actually gave them to, to your parents, and they adopted them, and they raised them. And then at the conclusion of everything else she said in her letter, at the closing of the letter, she says, I wish I could have been as strong as you were when you went through that. And I say this because many people get mad at God for things that happen to them. Bible says that, God has put it in every heart to know right from wrong. We know when we're doing wrong. If you're having to hide to do your dirt, then you already know what you're doing. Kids that are a lot younger now, they know more about the laptop and the cell phones than their parents. Right? But when bad things happen to them, Pastor, how could God allow this to happen to my kids? I said, that's what happens when you're trying to be your kid's BFF and not their parents. I'm telling you, if they're 18 and under living in your home, you have every right to go all up in that phone. And their laptop and whatever else they might have, especially those video games. I don't know what's in the end now, but back in the day, there was pornography in those, what is it, Grand Theft Autos. Had a, a mom that brought her son with me up to the pulpit, right, when we were pastoring the church. Can you pray for my son? He can't sleep. He's having bad dreams, da-da-da. And then so I, I said, you play any video games? And he's looking at me. He goes, yeah, I do. I said, what, what, what do you play? And he goes, oh, Grand Theft Auto. And so I look at mom, and I said, mom, have you seen that video game? Oh, uh, no, it's a video game. Clueless. Clueless. I said, may I recommend to you, mom, that you sit down while he's playing that game and then get back with me. We live in a generation where parents don't want to be parents anymore. My goodness. So here my biological mother gives me to her parents and they adopt me, raise me as their own. And, it, it, you know, back in those days when you'd go to elementary school, pre-K or even kindergarten and all that, I already had anger issues. Kindergarten, first grade, you know, you would have like, uh, I don't know, they would call it like career day. Like you'd have to stand up and my dad's a firefighter and my dad's a plumber. And so I'm adopted by my grandparents. So all I could say is, well, uh, you know, my grandfather, he's my, my 
legal guardian. He served our country. He retired from civil service, things of that nature. But I can remember at an early age where, you know, you would stand up and say those things. And then not knowing who God is at the time, I was mad at God. God, why does he have a father? God, why does she have a father? God, am I not good enough to have my own father? To do all the activities that all the other kids do with their parents. And so as a result of that, I had a lot of anger issues. And the best thing my grandparents could come up with, maybe we should put them in some karate classes. It sounds good. And it's like, oh, no. But I mean, it was, a, it was a win-win for me. So they put me in there. They signed me up and all these different things. And so what happened is already having anger issues, they're going to teach you how to punch, how not to get punched, how to kick, and how not to get kicked, and all these different things, and you don't get in trouble. I say, yeah, we can do this. And so I'm learning things, and then once you're learning things, you have to practice that with other guys uh, there in the same martial arts schools and things of that nature. And then so eventually, you're going to have to start competing. Right? You're going to start competing. Are you learning what, uh, what they're teaching you? Right. So once you go into competition, you know, it's like a bracket. You know, if you win, you keep going up the bracket, things of that nature. And so for me, it wasn't really about winning or losing. For me, it was just, you know what? I can kick and I can punch them and, and I don't have to worry about getting in trouble. Let all that anger loose. And so here you have, you know, the, the teachers that are teaching there in the martial arts school, uh, the, the trainers, if you would. And then so it's almost like, man, this this guy has a lot of anger issues. Right. And so we would do the local tournaments there and then we would go like uh, different uh, parts of the country as well to compete. But it was all the anger issues that they began to see. And it's almost like they got together and said, you know what? This guy has a lot of anger issues. And the main guy says, I think if we put him in there for money, I think he'll do good. Right. So I'm still a minor at this time. Right. And so we're there. I probably my, what, what, my freshman or sophomore year probably. And so we're there and say, hey, we got you signed up for another tournament is what they said. But they lied. Right. And so they say, hey, listen, we're going to another tournament. And so this was transitioning from amateurs into starting to get paid uh, to fight. And so this is when we had uh, the Hemisphere Arena there in San Antonio, Texas. And this was way before the UFC, in case you're wondering. This was traditional kickboxing. Amen. And so. We're there, and so you get there, you, you register, you sign up, they put a bracelet on your wrist and whatnot, and then they, once you have the bracelet on your wrist, you have security with you, one or two guys with you and your team, and wherever you go, they go. Yeah, they're, they're making sure you're not taking, you know, trying to go out the back door or anything. And then so, you know, you start getting all warmed up and everything. This is my first time. I'm thinking it's a regular tournament, but it's not. All right, so the officials come in here. They go over the rules, things of that nature. And then so now they, they come, they'll come and knock on the door or they'll yell in the door, hey, it's time to go. And so as they're walking you and your team all the way to where you're going to go and engage in combat there, in the midst of that, people are cussing at you, throwing you some beer maybe, and all these other things. However, the ring announcer, my God, he, 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 he plays it well. That's why he makes his money. He says, and representing San Antonio, Texas, Richard Valerio, and all these different, you hear some boos and things like that. But here's, here's what happened. I was believing what he was saying. <laughs> that's when my pride kicked in. He's talking about this and that. And so in my mind, I'm like, that's right, that's right, brother. Let him know. Let him know. It's Richie time right now. Let him know. Let him know. 
Now, they don't laugh because it was painful. <laughs> that was my introduction, right? And so let, let them know, brother, come on. And so obviously I'm not saved. I'm not saved. And at the time, I didn't know what the word revelation was, right? And so after all the talking and smacking, all that is like, ding, ding. And so we're going to square up right there in the middle. And so I throw like a lazy jab like that, and I'm trying to hook him up. And then he caught me with his right hand. And I'm like, my God, did, did he just hit me? Yeah, he did hit me. I had never been, I, I didn't know you could get hit that hard in my entire life. I'm trying to figure out what just happened. Was that a truck or was that something in his glove or what, what was it? And then so now I'm talking to myself in my mind, Valerio, don't stand there. You got to move. You got to move. You can't just stand in front of him. So I'm, I'm running away from him. All right, let me square up this time. And so, man, that was a long night for me. I lost. I lost by, by points. And then I also found out, too, listen, unless you've been in it, you don't know the, 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 the cheating angles, right? They'll get between you and the referee, and they throw illegal elbows and all these different things. But that, I began to learn some things from that, amen. So we continue to fight. We continue to train. It, it was a good lesson for me to learn. Don't listen to the ring announcer when he's introducing you. <laughs> and then so finally they said, uh, we got a, a call. Uh, some guy was supposed to fight there in California, uh, and then uh, the guy came out dirty. So we're like a last-minute replacement, so we get everything taken care of. Fly over there, check in, and all that. And then so now, now it's time to go and things of that nature. Now, my mindset during this, this time frame uh, as, as a freshman and a sophomore in high school was if I can win a world title, that'll fix the problem I have right here. It'll make me happy. And so we're there at the last minute replacement. So we go, and by the grace of God, somehow, because I'm not saved during this time, we won the fight. We won the fight, right? So I can say I'm a champion now, right? I, we have it. We have it. And so I, I'm supposed to be happy. So the problem was it wasn't even scratching the surface to the issues that were in my heart. And so as soon as the fight is done, you go, you shower, things of that nature. And then you have, you know, your team, uh, you know, there's always a party after the fight. So there's alcohol, drugs, and all these other things. But then there's a second party after the first one. I didn't go to those parties. I'm already tired of life. And so I just went back to the hotel room. I'm looking at myself in the mirror, and I'm looking at myself with disgust. Because I, I thought this was going to fix my problem. And it didn't. My last fight for money was probably uh, my sophomore year uh, there, there in high school. That's when I said, you know what, I'm done with that. How can you physically beat somebody and they actually win the fight? Like, are you kidding me? <laughs> it's, that's why they call it a business. Amen. And so I stopped from that. And you know, so I got more involved with football there in high school, my sophomore year, going into my junior year. Uh, and back in those days, if you were half decent in the football team, you would be a little popular, you know, in the school and things of that nature. And so, but back in those days, when you wanted to go talk to a girl, you had to go talk to her in person. I felt that one. You couldn't hide, you couldn't hide behind a computer. No, 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 no. You had to go talk to them in person. Like, like in person, like, yeah, like face to face, you know. Pobrecitos, when we do marriage retreats, husbands don't know how to spit the game anymore, man. See, that's how I keep my wife. Ain't nobody going to smooth talk my wife. Uh-uh. Mm -mm. 
back in the high school days, she's surrounded by all her girlfriends and everything, and then you just walk over, smooth operator. Mm. Girl, did that hurt? What do you mean, did that hurt? When you fell from, when you fell from heaven, girl? Let me have them digits. Phone number for some of you. <laughs> and you just ignore all her friends. You go right directly to her. Are your feet tired, girl? Why would my feet be tired? Because you've been running around my mind all day long, girl. <laughs> Let me get them digits. Let me get that phone number. <laughs> Don't judge me. I wasn't saved. Oh, my goodness. And then you have the, mom, mom, but he says he loves me. He says he loves me. The problem was I told all of them I loved them. In my school, the other schools, I was venturing out in business opportunities, you know. I was an unofficial, I said it, unofficial pharmaceutical representative. <laughs> and so that's how that got started. And so, yeah, you know, it, it was the craziest thing. I would tell all these girls, you know, yeah, you're the only one for me, things of that nature, and manipulate these girls, different high schools, things of that nature. What, what got me the most was that out of all the girls, only one father got in my face. One father. So when we had our two girls, I said, uh-uh, not my girls. No, no, they want to talk to you? Yeah, tell them, come talk to me. I'm just going to be honest with you because we're real here. We're family here. Only my wife and my two daughters have seen the other side of me because it was necessary. <laughs> I thought, no, 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 that, that ain't going to happen. That ain't going to happen. And that's why, you know, you, like one guy was trying to flirt with my older daughter at the time. Uh, you know, she's still underage. And so I, I'm coming to the church, dropping off some materials because we're working on the church building. And I overhear my wife say, you need to talk to your dad. What happened? Oh, da-da-da-da-da. He did what? Oh, he was trying to, so what happened was he was trying to flirt with my daughter. So his way of flirting was hitting her on the head. And so I said, oh, okay, I'll be back. I was going to go by myself, but I had a disciple with me. And God said, take Jimmy with you. <laughs> so I, I'm at the H-E-B, the grocery store there, and I'm looking for him. I'm looking down the aisle, nothing, nothing. Nothing. And so I call my daughter and say, hey, what's, wh where's he at? I don't see him. So now it's the administrative offices on this side. And so as I'm talking to my daughter, he comes out. And I said, never mind. I just saw him. Hey, Steve, how are, how are you doing? And I, I just gave him a handshake and I had it at a certain angle where I had all of his attention. You feel me? And then so I said, listen, do me a favor. Don't ever put your hands on Alexis again. Do you understand me? Mm -hmm. I said, okay. And one for good measure. And then just walk away like nothing happened. We didn't have no more issues after that. <laughs> but that's the old me. Don't judge me. That only, comes out when, that only comes out when it's necessary. The hard part about being a pharmaceutical representative in my early years. <laughs> don't laugh. I preached this. And there was a real one there. <laughs> I'm about to leave the sanctuary with the pastor, and he stops me, and he goes, hey, is your license up to date? I said, no, sir, I expired in 1996. But he was legit, though. 
And so, you know, we would sell in different strip clubs and, you know, all these different things. What was sad is that you would have girls that, uh, you know, I, I'm just going to work here at this club to save enough money to put myself through college. And next thing you know, they, they need a prescription from Dr. Valerio. And now what's the government assistance money that they're getting, right? The money that they get to help with their kids, they end up buying pharmaceuticals. That's a sad life. Now, don't judge me. I wasn't saved. I wasn't saved. Instead of using the money for their kids, they're buying the, the drugs and doing other things they shouldn't be doing. John 8, verse 34, it says, And Jesus answered them, Most assuredly, I say to you, whoever commits a sin is a slave to sin. I've been in my, when I was pastoring a church, I've been the pastor sitting behind my desk, and then talking to different people from our church. Pastor, I'm trying to quit, but I can't. Pastor, I've tried to quit, but I can't. So don't tell me that the Bible is just all made up of different sayings and quotes, because it's true. Whoever commits a sin is a slave to sin. Mm-mm-mm. The truth must be told, amen. What goes up comes down. I was minding my business. Uh, so being a pharmaceutical representative, you know, in between first and second period, I got rid of a lot of product. You know what I mean? Okay, and so by the time I get to second period, all I have on me is a dime of Coke, not Coca-Cola. That's all I have on me. But out of the whole high school, only one kid knew I had that. And you know the saying, right? Snitches get stitches. And so I'm in class. You know, the, the, the teacher's back is facing me. He's writing on the chalkboard. And so my friend that was right next to me, he's right there, and he does one of these. He's like. And as soon as he came up, as soon as he came up like that, the cops came in. The cops walk in. Okay, so the first cop goes directly to the teacher and informs him, hey, Mr. Valerio's going to, you know, he's going to go for a little trip for a little bit. He's got to go to the office. But I thought they were going to get my friend first because he had just done a line of coke. He said, like, and then I'm, I, oh, they're going to get Joe. Let me move more this way. <laughs> no, one went to the teacher. The two cops came and got me by my arms, and they got my backpack. They take me into the principal's office. And behind, sitting on the principal's desk is the main detective, and he's got both of his heat propped on his desk, right? And, and then so they take me in there, and he goes, Richard, just tell me where you have the dime. I know you have it. And I ain't saying nothing. I said, ooh, I know, I know who it is. I do. Ooh, mm-mm. <laughs> Snitches get stitches. <laughs> oh, that was bad. And then he had a little sister, right? They would go to a private school. So I would drive there in my car, and you would hear my car coming. Boom, 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 boom. And then just park there. Dark, you know, dark tent on the windows and everything. I just wanted him to know, I know this is where your sister comes. And then I also wanted him to know, I know where your mom works. And in between that whole craziness and madness, I was working somewhere, and then a legit job. No, no more narcotics, no more. <laughs> I was working a real job, and so there were these two guys that were saved. It was Alex and, and uh, Jeff. 
And so we'd have to be there by like six in the morning. And, you know, it's a Monday. For me, it's typically, you know, you're all crudo. You're all hungover and everything. And they're over there all jittery, you know, getting their coffee. And whatever the concert Saturday night, you know, so many people got saved and this and that. And I'm looking at them and I'm like, man, I'm thinking to myself, you guys are pathetic, man. <laughs> and then one of the guys looks at me and he goes, hey, Rich, how's your religion working out? And then I got more mad. Because nothing's going on, nothing's going on. <laughs> and they begin to witness to me and witness to me. Come on, Rich, aren't you tired of the same reruns? And eventually I said, you know what? Yeah, I'm going to give it a try. So February the 3rd of 1992, I turned 18. On Valentine's Day, February the 14th of 92, is when the popo came in and got me, Valentine's Day. But prior to them picking me up, they were at the high school, prior to that, I had already tried to commit suicide twice prior to that. First one was over, you know, overdosing on pills, the other one trying to cut my wrist. And then so, you know, I, I, again, I dropped the, the ball as far as the pictures. I have, I have the actual mugshot. And so that was prior to the mugshot, and then there's one more attempt after the mugshot was taken, maybe two to three weeks, I'm in my apartment on the third floor. I'm tired of life. Uh, and so I, I get up from the living room. I'm walking through, and I go out in the, in the balcony there on the third floor. There's nothing but woods going this way. And so I'm, I'm using some curse words because I'm tired of life. And listen, I just turned 18, and I'm already tired of life. How can you be tired of life? You just turned 18. How do you get tired? By doing what the world says. If you do this, this is going to make you happy. Well, it didn't work with me. I'm sitting in my living room. I put the gun to my head. I pull the trigger, and it misfires. Click. And so now I get mad because you got to be kidding me. I can't even do this right. Blank, 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 blank. And then that's when I go out into the balcony. And da 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 Boom. And now you just hear it. It was right there when I said, God, there has to be more to life. I just turned 18. Now, I remember, I remember my two the guys that would work, I would work with. Rich, aren't you tired of the reruns? Aren't you tired of the reruns? You need to come to church. But it's not just a Valerio problem. It's a spiritual problem. Deion Sanders, prime time. Millions upon millions of dollars professionally as an NFL player and Major League Baseball as well. Uh, you know, it, it, he, he tried to, to commit suicide as well. He tried it. And this was his question. You know, you have your teammates and things of that nature. And his question was, what do you do when you have millions of dollars in your bank account? Millions. Thousands of dollars in cash. A house and a car for every day of the week, and you're still not happy? That was his question. People in our churches want all that. I'm talking about people that have all that. They're like, my goodness. So he gets in his four-door black Mercedes Benz. He goes off a road off of a bridge, and he goes into the river there. So somebody sees that. They help him out, things of that nature. Uh, when he was playing professional baseball, 
he's popping pills, different kind of things like that. And he said that his teammates would be like on the rail looking at the game going on. And they would see him. They, they see him popping the pills. But neither one of them tried to talk to him. They just let it be. Julia Cesar Chavez. He said he tried to commit suicide. He said he put the gun to his head. He pulled the trigger and it misfired. Click. And so here's a man that's an icon, an idol in professional sports. If you've ever been in competition and depending on how big the crowd is, it can be intoxicating. Especially for a legend like uh, Julio Cesar Chavez Sr. And he, he talks about it. You'd have like 30,000 people in an outdoor stadium and all, and all in one accord. Chavez, Chavez, Chavez. He has all the fans, has the money. Different women, different cars. He has everything that you and I would consider success. And yet at the end of the day, he doesn't like what he has. Looking for help. That's critical. Oscar De La Hoya, the same thing. The golden boy, Oscar De La Hoya. Worshipped all over the place. And he said, his quote, I thought about suicide, but I didn't have the guts to do it. Normally people, in my experience, uh, you know, pastoring and things of that nature, People that are serious about doing it, they don't talk about it. You just find out what happened. What? I was just talking to them the other day. We had a, uh, I worked in apartments uh, when we were pastoring and whatnot and uh, went to one apartment, knocked on the door, boom, 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 and nobody answered. So I get the key, open the door, walk in. The sofa's right there. And there's a guy there, but he's just like laying down, almost like he's taking a nap. And I said, oh, good morning. I said, I'm here to work on your sink, da, da, da. But he didn't move. All right. And so I go, and I go look under the sinks. What do I need to bring? What tools, da, da, da. And so I turn around, and I'm about to, I'm walking out, and he didn't move at all. And I said, no, that don't look right. And so as I'm walking out, my manager and maintenance supervisor, they're already walking as I'm coming out, they're already cut. They're coming where I'm at, and they go in. And so what happened was uh, him and his boyfriend had some kind of squirrel, you know, like where they're, they're fighting. They got into a little quarrel there. They got in a fight. And I guess he was trying to time it to where he was going to get there, and, you know, he was going to save, you know, save his, his buddy there and things of that nature. And it didn't play out that way. He was already gone. Why? Because his buddy's flight got delayed. And then we had to take the sofa out and all the, yeah, yeah, it's just something else. But that's what happens with people that have no hope. So let's take a look at a new life. Amen. 1 Corinthians 2.9, it says, But as it is written, I has not seen nor ear heard, and neither has it entered into the heart of man, the things which God has prepared for them who love him. Did you get that? That love him, not the ones that are cursing at God. Those that love God and the good times and the bad times. It's like a marriage. Hey, listen, you have to take the good with the bad or vice versa. But many times we're so prideful that we're, we're demanding God to move on our behalf. How many of you remember the old 3D glasses? Give me a minute.
See, when I gave my life to Jesus, huh? When I gave my life to Jesus, I couldn't see things, right? But then I, I put these on. I put them on, and the same problems are there. The only difference is now I see it through God's eyes. When God showed me that, it was one of those like, oh, like, God, why didn't you slap me? God, why didn't you correct me during these times? It's interesting that God will not force himself on you and I. We have to allow God to discipline us from time to time. After all the bad things I had done, and yet here is God. He said, all is forgiven. Anybody here ever had a pity party? Okay, good. It wasn't just me. <laughs> so I'm having a pity party. This was years ago there when we were pastoring the church. And so I'm there in morning prayer, and I'm having a pity party. And in the middle of that, God speaks to me, and he says, Richard, what are you talking about? I don't remember those issues no more. When God forgives and you leave it at the foot of the cross, Jesus is not like our earthly family. Okay, well, you went to church for three weeks. Okay, you've been in church a month and a half now. But look, you're still not perfect. You're still worse than us. God doesn't do that. That is not God. If you would have told me then that God would use my life to preach around the world and pray for people, I would have said, you done lost your mind. Preach around the world. Yeah, behave. John 8, verse 36, it says, Therefore, if the Son makes you free, you shall be free indeed. That, I mean, listen. It's very hard for a pastor to accept this truth, right? When people say they want to change, but they're not willing to put into work. See, it's interesting. Gang members, gang members would make good missionaries overseas. Because they'll recognize situations right away, and, and they'll, they'll throw hands if they have to in the name of Jesus. <laughs> Do you want to pray to Jesus right now? Oh, I'm sorry. Did you hit my knee? I'm sorry. Would you like to pray again? <laughs> that is the most difficult part about pastoring in my, my experience in the years uh, prior, but you give counseling, you show them what the Word of God says. You know, this is what the Bible says. You can read it in your Bible. You can read it from my Bible. It's easy to read. It's easy for me to explain or tell you this is what you should do according to the Word of God. My opinion doesn't matter. What matters is the Word of God. But then they'll listen. Oh, thank you, Pastor. I so appreciate that you took time, you know, to, to help us and, and things of that nature. And, and then as soon as they walk out to church. Who does that pastor think he is? He ain't going to tell me what to do. I'm grown. Do you see the way he was talking to me, babe? I was going to get a ball up on his face. Don't laugh. It happens. How do I know? Because when they come back for the evening service, the poor little kids, they tell everything. <laughs> yeah, mom and dad. <laughs> they come and tell everything. And that's because a man, had, he, he had pride issues. L listen, well, I'm where I'm at today because I've been corrected by my pastor. He's raised his voice. 
He's corrected me one-on-one. He's corrected me with me and my wife, my wife and I. And he's corrected me in front of my wife and our three kids. And the reason our kids are safe today is because after he corrected me and he raised his voice, Richard, what were you thinking? <laughs> I said, that's the problem, Pastor. I wasn't thinking. And so many times they, they get mad because the pastor corrected them, not knowing that your pastor is always, everybody say always, looking out for your best interest. For your best interest. Wants you to succeed. When they announced me the first time to be being a, a full-time evangelist, my pastor put his 30 years plus of pastoral credentials and ministry and all that in front of all the fellowship pastors that were there for the conference. Right? That's normally on a Wednesday. There's nothing but pastors up in, in the building now. And then they'll say, okay, uh, you know, we have a new evangelist coming up. His name's Richard Valerio. And then who's going to speak for him? And then it, it was my pastor. Benny, Benny Rodriguez, he stands up and he puts his 30 years of faithfulness on the line. He pioneered a church. He'll go do a revival for you. He'll do a good job, all these different. And, and I say that because many times men have this idea that pastor don't like them. Pastor don't want to talk to them. And, and, and yet it's opposite of what you're thinking. It's opposite. If anything, I would take advantage of asking pastor questions while we're here. Especially if you think you're called to preach. Ask a lot of questions. I'm going to read this. You've probably seen it on a track called The Letter from Hell. This is to encourage all of us to continue to witness to people, especially family members. It says, A Letter from Hell, right? It says, My friend, I stand in judgment now, and I feel that you are to blame somehow. While on this earth, I walked with you day by day, and never did you point the way. You knew the Lord in truth and in glory, but never did you tell the story. My knowledge then was very dim. You could have led me safe to him. Though we lived together here on earth, you never told me of your second birth. You taught me many things, that's true. I called you friend and I trusted you. But I learn now that it's too late. You could have kept me from this fate. And now I stand this day condemned because you failed to mention him. Those are our families. Our families. What breaks my heart sometimes is the thought, you know, people come to our churches, we minister to them, we help them, things of that nature. And then and normally sometimes I'll ask the question, if you and I were to get hit by a car at the same time and stand before the throne of God, looking at God and God looking at us, would you make heaven your home? Would you make heaven your home? I can picture as a pastor, it's like, God, I worked with them. I worked with him. I worked with her. God, I did everything I could, and I can picture God looking right back at me. No, no, I, I know, Richard. I know. I saw. You invested in their lives. And they're going to be, what does the Bible say? I never knew you. Not only were you mad at God, but you were mad at pastor too. You can't even imagine the pain that a pastor goes through when people in the church are going through rough times. Can you imagine standing before the throne and your pastor having to look at you and 
Why, why didn't you give your life to Jesus? Why didn't you do this? Why? I, I was trying to help you. Why? I can't help you on this side. To be separated from the things of God and God himself. I don't want my family members dying with me at the same time. And well, you never said anything. You never said anything. Our responsibility is to let them know. Let them know, you know, this is what the Bible says. Don't set them down for four hours. Just keep it very brief. There's no need to argue with them or fight with them. And if anything, you know, what I, I did a youth rally a while back. And so what I encourage the teenagers to do is if they don't want to pray for salvation, in other words, you know, would you like to receive Christ as your Lord and Savior? If they're not, if they're, they say, no, no, I'm good, I'm good. Okay, so before you leave, ask them if they need healing. And that begin to change things. Yeah, you know. And so what happened is um, Sunday morning when we started the revival, uh, the pastor mentioned, you know, uh, the evangelist mentioned if they don't want to pray for salvation, ask them if they need prayer for healing. And so they ended up praying with like six different people on that one outreach for healing, for healing. And that was the youth, all the teenagers. They came back all lit up talking to their pastor. Pastor, we prayed with this couple, their back pain, da -da, and they got healed. <laughs> it changes the dynamics of the kingdom of God. The minute you're able to pray for somebody for healing and God heals them, your first reaction is you're not going to want to wash your hand anymore. This is the anointed hand. I pray for people with these hands. No, 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 no. You can still wash them. It'll be all right. It'll still work. What a blessing it is that even the lady that was caught in adultery, right, as we get ready to close, the Bible says she was caught in the very act. And, you know, of course, all the religious people, they bring her to Jesus and, and they know the law, right? And your, your word says, your word says you should do this. And I love the way Jesus handled that one. He who is without sin cast the first stone. And this is how you know conviction is real. Because one by one, they started to leave. I ain't going to say nothing. I'm just going to leave because I'm just as guilty. But if she had committed adultery, listen, it takes two to commit adultery. I wonder if it was one of their homeboys or something. I don't know. I'm just saying. But what does Jesus tell our sister there? Go and sin. No what? No more. So if you and I get our heart right with God, and we know what Jesus would say, right? Okay, okay, you, you've left it here at the altar. We're going to go ahead and cover that with the blood of Jesus. Now go and sin no more. Now if God has already forgiven us of everything we've left at the altar, when we go back to our jobs or even back in our homes, why are we still condemning ourselves with that past that God doesn't remember anymore? If he's not, he's not recalling it, God's not like our friends and family. Well, you remember five years ago when you did this? You remember 18 years? It's funny how they can remember like 20 years ago. Like, what? <laughs> I know, it's probably just my family that's like that. We need to accept the fact that when Jesus says it is forgiven, it's forgiven. 
Can we just be honest? How many of you right now go through life and you're still struggling with things that have already been forgiven? Raise your hand. See? Leave it at the altar. Leave it at the altar. It almost makes me feel like, you know, having been on the other side of the law, it's like, you know you're not doing anything bad, but you're always looking over your shoulder. And they're like, wait a minute, why am I doing that? I'm free. I'm going to close right here. Listen, the last time I had to go and report for probation, I got there early. I got there early. My probation officer, Isidro Chamberlain, was there. He goes, Valeria, what are you doing here? What do you mean, what am I doing here? I got to report. If I don't report, you're going to call the law on me, man. So we're there, and then he talks to the receptionist. Do I have a time? Yeah. He goes, all right, Valeria, let's go to the back. So we go back there, and he goes, yeah, you don't have to come uh, here no more. So what do you mean? He goes, you don't have to come here anymore. I said, okay, and what about like the monthly fee and, and all those other fees? He goes, you don't have to pay that anymore. And I said, okay, well, can you give me something in writing in case they come and try to bring me back over here? <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. He goes, I'll, I'll type something up for you, sign it, things like that. But once he gave me that piece of paper, and when I was already getting ready to go to work, my footsteps were different. There was like a spring in my step. I don't have to come back here anymore. I've been delivered. No more. No more coming over here. No more. That's how you and I should be. Bring it to the altar. Leave it there. And turn the page and continue your walk with God. Amen. I'd like every head bowed and every eye closed. Thank you, Jesus.